Is Saints quarterback Derek Carr top five at the position in the NFC? We'll talk about that. And C.J. Gardner-Johnson sticking around the NFC right here on the Straight Up Saints podcast. You're listening to the Straight Up Saints podcast. What is up, Houdat Nation? Welcome back inside another edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. And this podcast is brought to you by the Birdsaw Law Firm, the official injury lawyer's of Boo Crew Media. They're located at 918 Poydras Street by the Superdome, and you can give them a call at 504-523-5413. That's if you or someone you know has been involved in an accident. That's Birdsaw Law Firm, the official injury lawyers of Boot Crew Media. Now, I said it at the top of the uh, show here, is Derek Carr a top five quarterback in the NFC? Now, this is a discussion that if it were in the other conference, you're not even having that conversation because you're loaded with Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence, Lamar Jackson, even quarterbacks who haven't really taken that next step yet or haven't shined with their new teams and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. Uh, can't forget about Justin Herbert. I mean, they're just loaded with quarterbacks in the AFC. In the NFC, it's a little bit of a different story. And the shift for Derek Carr going from one conference to the other has actually opened up that window where you can legitimately sit here and have this conversation. And I'm going to make some points as to why I actually think the answer would be yes for whether or not Derek Carr's a top five quarterback in the NFC. Now, before I get into the numbers that favor Derek Carr, before I get into the why of why I think he is a top five quarterback in the NFC, I think the first thing we need to do is eliminate recency bias. I think it's a really bad thing that we have in sports, particularly with the NFL. And I know the NFL is one of those, what have you done for me lately type of leagues. And I weirdly respect it, but at the same time, it could be a detriment to when you're having conversations like this. And the reason being, if you were to make a top five quarterback in the NFC list today, and you would judge it off what happened last season, I think your list is going to look so ridiculous because of the way the NFC played out. Now, I think one quarterback in particular from last year, it's not recency bias. He just played so damn good that you got to give him his flowers is Jalen Hurts. So he's going to be at the top of any list in the NFC and he should be. And if he's not your number one quarterback in the NFC, I'm going to start to question what football you've been watching, but let's leave him to the side. He is without a shadow of a doubt, a top five quarterback in the NFC. I think he is the best quarterback in the NFC. So keep him out of the conversation. There's two names that come up. Now I've seen them on a couple of shows. I think that they had really good seasons. I don't think they're as a they're really a fluke. I just think they played way above their standards. Now that it doesn't mean they're bad quarterbacks. I just don't know if they're gonna, ever going to play that consistently great. Geno Smith and Jared Goff, both of them are excellent. I mean, Geno Smith completing over sixty eight percent of his passes. Jared Goff with fewer than ten picks, a lot of touchdowns. I believe twenty nine with the Lions. He balled out. But I think Jared Goff is for most of his career, has been a solid quarterback. Last year, he took that jump and became very good. Gino, on the other hand, made the jump from backup to very good, and that's a huge jump. And I think Gino did some things that can't be a fluke. Like, you cannot complete 68% of your passes week 1 to 18, no problem like that. Like, that can't be a fluke. There is, there is a precision to his game that can't go unnoticed. But I do think those two guys, I almost feel like when you're making the top five list, are we going to just crown them top five off of one season? That's unfair. Now, on the flip side, a guy who I think is undisputedly top five in the NFC, but is coming off a horrendous year, is Dak Prescott. Now, some people might roll their eyes because he's on the Cowboys and whatever. Dak has been a top five quarterback in the NFC for a pretty long time, and I don't think that's going to change. He would be in that, not as good as Jalen Hurts, but in that class of 
He is top five, no doubt. I put him off to the side. Now there's three spots remaining. There's two guys for me that are in a weird spot. And it's not about how they played in 2022. It's about health. Kyler Murray, coming off a torn ACL, could miss a decent chunk of the 2023 season, which is like, well, how can you rank him top five if, let's say, he doesn't come back till week eight? That's just weird to me. But on the flip side, Kyler Murray's talent's undeniable. Like, I'm not one of those people who's going to start throwing a hot take about Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray's sensational. So that, for me, is one of them. The other one is Matt Stafford, and I think he has more concerns than Kyler Murray because we're talking about a bad back. We're talking about a bad neck. We're talking about a, a, a bad elbow. Like, it's injuries galore there in L.A., and Stafford is one of those, if he was healthy, he'd be off to the side. He'd be top five, no doubt, but there's injury concerns there. So those two, I have a little bit of a question mark about health-wise. So I already said Goff and Geno, I thought they had great years, but I'm not putting them top five. I think that's too much recency bias. Dak, I'm still putting him top five. So I have two spots in. Stafford and Kyler, it's so weird to me. I probably would be, if I had to pick one of them, I probably would go with Kyler. And the reason being is Stafford's injuries are so concerning. Like we've reached that phase where it's like, is it one more injury and he's done? That scares me. Uh, it's also concerning. But at the same time, you know what? He got his Super Bowl and I'm, I'm sure the Rams wouldn't change a thing about it. Now let's go to the quarterback who I think is most cl closely aligned with Derek Carr. And that would be Kirk Cousins. Now, I know some of you probably rolled your eyes. Some of you probably hate Kirk Cousins. And what I'm going to say for some people might come off as blasphemous. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback. Like, do people not watch the games and understand that he's a good quarterback? The problem with Kirk Cousins, and it is a huge problem, and we're all in agreement here, is he does not come up big in the game's biggest moments. And that is an issue. That is 1,000% an issue. But if you play really well for 13 of your 17 games, you're a good quarterback. Now, he's not a great quarterback. He'll never be considered a great quarterback. But the numbers are good. He makes the playoffs decently enough times. He doesn't really turn over the football, at least that much. Kirk Cousins is a solid quarterback. And honestly, I think Kirk Cousins is also one of those guys where he's making the top five. Accurate numbers are there. They're winning games. Won a lot of close games last year with one of the worst defenses in all of football, by the way. Now, he doesn't make the big plays, so everyone goes, eh, Kirk Cousins is a choke artist. He's this, he's that. It's fine. You can have those names. I don't, I don't necessarily think you're wrong about the choke artist stuff, but he would still be in my top five, and I think he actually aligns closely with Derek Carr. Now, let's get to the numbers of why I think Derek Carr belongs in the top five because I think that's what really matters at the end of the day. Like, opinions are nice. Talking about what someone did versus what they didn't, it's all good, but you got to have numbers to back up what you're saying, and I think that Derek Carr has got a couple that really – Help him out. Now, let's start off with the numbers part, just the production standpoint. Derek Carr has had three seasons with 4,000 passing yards and 10, uh, 10 interceptions or fewer. 4,000 passing yards, 10 interceptions or fewer in a single season. He's done that three times. Only three quarterbacks can say they've done that more than Derek Carr. Those three quarterbacks are Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Peyton Manning. So that's a pretty good list. That's the first thing. Now, if you're just going off standard production, right, looking at the yards, looking at the turnovers, Derek Carr is going to get you 4,000 consistently, and he's not going to have that many picks while doing so. There are moments where he does. This past season was one of them. But, man, that's a really good class to be part of. It gets better, though, and this is where I actually think Derek Carr shines the most. So I mentioned Kirk Cousins doesn't step up in the big game moments, right? Derek Carr, if you get him to the big game, 
you get into those crucial moments, that's actually where he plays best. Now, I know people are going to mention the Cincinnati playoff game, but let me explain. Since he was drafted in 2014, Derek Carr has 28 fourth-quarter comebacks. That's the most in the NFL since that span. He's got 33 game-winning drives. That's the most in the NFL in that span. He's got the fourth-most passing yards in that span, the seventh-most passing touchdowns in that span. These are numbers that you can't dispute. You can't. And the funny thing is, people will probably hear that and still dismiss it. But what I told you is true. No quarterback since 2014 has had more fourth-quarter comebacks and more game-winning drives than Derek Carr. It's a real stat. You can search it up. If you don't believe me, go find it for yourself. It's legit. And then on top of that is the fourth most passing yard since entering the league and the seventh most passing touchdowns. Now, I gave you a bunch of important numbers. I gave you a bunch of important crunch time statistics. It's up to you to decide whether or not that's going to help your case for Derek Carr. But what I will say is the numbers definitely back up the claim that he is top five in the NFC. Now, he's towards the bottom of the five. Yeah, I'd probably put him four or five. Would not put him with, with Hertz. Would not put him with Dak because I think when Dak's on his game, he's a better quarterback. But... Can he be better than Kirk Cousins? He can. Can he be better than Matt Stafford, especially because of durability questions? He can. So, yeah, I would say he's top five. And that's why, to kind of put this segment full circle, I laugh when people talk about the Saints quarterback situation and pretend that they did not upgrade this season when they absolutely upgraded this offseason. Derek Carr's worst season would have been better for the Saints at quarterback than the last two that they've gotten. That's just the truth. And you don't have to love Derek Carr. You don't. He's not, a, he's not an elite quarterback. He is not going to be a Hall of Famer, despite what Devontae Adams said last offseason. But the Saints upgraded. They got a guy who, in crunch time, delivers. Numbers tell you that. A guy who, the numbers also tell you, has been pretty durable. A guy who's in the prime of his career. And now has a better supporting cast. Because through all of this that I didn't mention is the fact that Derek Carr's supporting cast with the Raiders have not been ideal. And also, while I'm at it, the coaching hasn't been great. Now, the coaching is suspect in New Orleans. I'll give you that. But look at what he dealt with with the Raiders. Constant waste of first-round picks. Jonathan Abram, Farrell, Ruggs, Damon Arnett, Alex Leather. The fact that you can go through about six first-round picks that they've wasted since Derek Carr's been their quarterback, that's a problem. And their best one was Josh Jacobs. And as good as Josh Jacobs is, it wasn't until this season when he finally popped. So that's been a problem. And now, the biggest rebuttal I've heard for Derek Carr, and it kind of makes me laugh, is people say, well, he had a great supporting cast in 2022 and had his worst season. And... I get it. On paper, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs. I mean, that sounds fantastic. But did you watch the games? Darren Waller missed a lot of football last year. Hunter Renfro missed a decent amount of football last year. Matt Collins stepped up. Does Derek Carr not get credit for that? Devontae Adams still had his numbers. I found that the funniest thing, right? Someone goes, and I read this on Twitter, and when I saw this reply, I started laughing. They go, well, even if Michael Thomas is healthy, how do we know him and Derek Carr are going to work? Devontae Adams didn't work. If you looked at Devontae Adams' numbers, you'd have been like, all right, he kept it moving. And I'll pull it up, actually, while I'm at it. Devontae Adams was one of the few guys who got his on the Raiders last year. So the year before Devontae Adams got to the Raiders, he had 
1,553 receiving yards. This past season, he had 1,516 receiving yards. He had 23 less receptions, but three more touchdowns. He still got his. He still got his. And now, since you're going to use the argument, well, his supporting cast was loaded, the Raiders weren't great last year, as if Josh McDaniels wasn't responsible for half of that. How about the fact that Darren Waller missed a lot of games in 2021, Henry Ruggs got cut in the middle of the season, and he was sitting there throwing to Brian Edwards as his best receiver, the ghost of Deshaun Jackson, and the Raiders made the playoffs. So, like, does, do you get credit for that part if you're going to get knocked for the other one? It's, again, narratives are important. I know people have them. But context is more important than narratives. So, I, I just find that crazy to me. Again, I'm not going to bang the drum for Derek Carr being top 10 because I actually don't think he's top 10. And part of that is because the AFC is so damn loaded. I think the AFC's got like seven of the top 10 quarterbacks. Might be, might be eight at this point. Like, they're just loaded. But be fair when you're talking about Derek Carr because it's not all bad. A lot of it's actually good. He's just missing that part that makes you from good to great. And who knows? Maybe he'll have a renaissance in New Orleans. That would be fantastic for me. It'd be fantastic for you. But for now... Top five in the NFC works for me. So before I wrap this up, let me shift it over to the second thing I wanted to talk about, and that is T.J. Garner-Johnson. Announced on Sunday, he's signing a one-year contract with the, with the Lions. I believe six and a half of it's guaranteed. It's $8 million for the one year. It's Look, it's a type of deal that I think reinforces the idea that Garner-Johnson is not seeing what his value is to other teams. And there being a huge difference in what he wants and what the market's telling him he's worth. I'm not going to get into that. I don't think me sitting here on a podcast should dictate what a guy's worth. I can't. That's just ridiculous. But what I will say is I found it so interesting on Twitter when this deal got announced, Eagles and Saints fans were so quick to just go run and talk about the trade that happened last offseason. And I just sat there. I'm going to be honest, minding my own business on Sunday night playing FIFA going, that's not really a big deal to me. Like, the Gardner-Johnson trade happened. I didn't love it at the time, but I get the Saints wanted to get rid of him for, you know, they they were clashing, didn't want any locker room distractions. That's fine. But let's not act like both teams wouldn't do this thing all over again. The Saints would do it to get rid of Gardner Johnson. And on the flip side, when the Saints were four and nine and things hit, you know, and, and things were going way south, they didn't have that, let's say, disruptive personality to maybe make things implode. So that was the benefit for them. The Eagles made the goddamn Super Bowl. They would do it all over again, one-year rental for a fifth-round pick. Absolutely. Absolutely. At this point, it doesn't matter what what the trade was. It it really doesn't. So I'm not really concerned with that. I'm really not. I, I think at this point, both fan bases could just move on. The trade happened. I think that Gardner Johnson, as awesome as he is in terms of competitive edge, the personality on the field, he is a nickel corner who gets, I would say, too much credit at times. Like, there's there's a weird disagreement here. Like, there's a section of Twitter where there's probably Saints fans who believe if they had Gardner Johnson on last year's team, the season would have played out differently. I don't think so. And then there's the other half that thinks he's, like, not good at all, and that's just false. I think he is an exceptional nickel cornerback who is disguised as a safety 
and had a lot of fortune in interceptions last year and was hoping to cash in on it. And NFL teams kind of just said, man, whatever you're looking for, if it's Jesse Bates money, you're not finding it here. And that's just kind of how it played out. That's what I would imagine. That's what it sounds like. Doesn't mean Gardner Johnson's not a good football player because he is a good football player. It's just he wasn't going to miraculously save the Saints. He only plays one position, and it's not one that's one of those that just changes the whole season. And for the Eagles, he was a part of a almost championship puzzle, and Lord knows they would have done it all over again if they could have. So that's the way I look at it. I know, pretty rational take from me, and you were maybe expecting something irrational. I'm sorry to disappoint there. But Garner Johnson goes to the Lions. He reunites with Aaron Glenn and Dan Campbell. And I wish him all the best. I do. Now, I believe the Saints and the Lions are going to face. So that's going to be fun. We'll see what happens there. I'm sure Gardner Johnson will be amped up about that. And for the Lions, I don't expect him to be a huge distraction. But if he plays well, just know we'll enter for the third year a, situ- a situation where it's like, oh, well, I don't know what he's going to make. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I find it fascinating that he'll now play for his third team in as many years. But he's still a good football player. He is. And I wish him well. I, I just, I'm shocked by how many people, like it was almost like a smear campaign on Twitter on Sunday. And I was like, who cares? Like it's gone. It, what happened happened. The Saints got a nice young corner in the building in Alante Taylor. You know, you got Lattimore. Tyra Matthew was really damn good for them at the end of the year. So what? They clashed a little bit in New Orleans with Gardner Johnson. It is what it is. Story over. Again, I know I'm being boring and rational about it. I apologize. But, you know, I got a good night's rest before doing this. So I feel like that's why I'm being a little bit more logical than illogical here. Anyway, that's going to do it for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Guys, I appreciate all the support. This has actually been a record-breaking month for us. Uh, and I can't thank you guys enough. Numbers-wise have been off the charts. And I really appreciate it. I really do. I hope that we're making content that makes you guys want to stick around and, and follow for more. And speaking of, you guys can do that by subscribing to Boot Crew Media's YouTube page so you guys can get notified when more podcasts like this drop out but that's going to do it for this edition of the straight up saints podcast the destination for the hoot at nation you're listening to the straight up saints podcast